Well, good morning again. This morning we're going to be uh, looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. So go ahead and turn there. We've been working verse by verse through this letter to the Galatians. Paul's emphasis throughout the letter is clear. Only Jesus matters. Only Jesus matters for salvation, and only Jesus matters for inheritance. Only Jesus. He has set out to defend the one true gospel of Jesus against the false teaching and influence of the rival teachers who have come into Galatia. And in this section, he points back to the Old Testament to give a picture of how Jesus changes everything. Now, I'll tell you from the beginning, this is a difficult text. Hard to understand, hard to know what Paul is meaning and how he gets to where he is going. But in that, we know that his focus is the one true gospel. And so let's read the text and work through it together. If you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read, beginning with verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are, in, who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be, mo- will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blessing of this time that we can come together and look to your word, time that we can sing to you, express our thanks to you for your grace. We pray for your help in these moments, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go and have a seat. Verse 21 begins, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now remember that Paul said right before this that he is perplexed about these Galatians. He's at a loss, at a loss about how they have gotten to this place that is a rejection of the one true gospel. These Galatians are now wanting to live under the law of Moses. What Paul's saying here, if you knew what the law actually said, then you would realize you're in the wrong. 
the Galatians need to learn to read the Mosaic Law in light of what God has done through Jesus. Jesus is everything and changes everything. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus changes the meaning of the Old Testament and the law. We want to have confidence in that, especially as it relates to today's texts and texts like it. Jesus doesn't change the meaning of the Old Testament. He reveals the meaning of the Old Testament. He shows us what it actually meant all along. Jesus came, uh, and, and remember, he said, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So Paul says, do you not listen? to the law. And then he goes on in verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now, Paul is referring here to the sons of Sarah and Hagar. If you aren't familiar with the story in the book of Genesis, you'll need to be today. And so I'm going to summarize uh, those texts from Genesis to get us there. In Genesis 15, God makes covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12 and 15, both, the Lord tells Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. And he makes covenant with Abraham to that end. All of Abraham's descendants, which God says will be uh, as many as the stars of the heavens. And all people, all nations will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. And when God makes covenant with Abraham... Abraham is childless. His wife, Sarah, is barren. So you can imagine the mixture of emotions that Abraham and Sarah must be feeling. And yet, in the midst of that, we know from Genesis, as well as what Paul writes here in Galatians, that Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's amazing. Abraham is made righteous not by his actions, but because he believes God. He believed in what God said, and that's wonderful. But we get to the very next chapter, chapter 16, all the way one chapter later. And Sarah is still barren. And so she says to Abraham, go into my servant, which is Hagar. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. You know what Abraham does? He does it. He sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant. And it says in Genesis 16 that when she conceived, she looked with contempt on Sarah. She looks down on Sarah. Now that's possibly because Sarah was not able to get pregnant, and Hagar was now pregnant. And so it says that first Sarah is angry with Abraham. And so Abraham says, do whatever you wish with Hagar. And then Sarah is angry at Hagar. And so Hagar flees. She runs away. And the Lord tells Hagar then to return and to submit to Sarah. Now, what has happened so far? Things are not happening as 
quickly for Abraham and Sarah as they think they should happen. And we can understand that, right? If we could kind of put ourselves into their place, into that context, we can understand that. We can see why they would get antsy. We could see why they're getting nervous. God has promised offspring to them, and they are old. And so they take things into their own hands. They're going to help God out with His promise. They try to get the promise, they try to get the inheritance in their own strength, their way. God promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a son, and through him the nations would be blessed. And so although God still blesses Ishmael, we find out in Genesis, Abraham's son through his servant Hagar, he still plans to fulfill his promise through Sarah. And so he visits Abraham again and says that within a year, Sarah will bear a child. And at that time when God says that, Sarah is 90 years old and Abraham is 100 years old. And so they're both like, nah, let's go with Ishmael. And God says, no. God does it. Sarah becomes pregnant. They have a child and name him Isaac. And it says in Genesis 21 that Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Hagar, laughing. And she tells Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. You you saw those words in the text that we read today. Now, this is partly where today's text becomes difficult, partly, because we really aren't told that Ishmael is making fun of or mocking Isaac. We don't know that from Genesis. We presume it, but it's possible from the text that Sarah is overreacting to the circumstances because the text tells us in Genesis that that Abraham is very displeased. Now, we don't know if that's because Sarah is going overboard or because Abraham and Tony are very similar and do not like confrontation in the least. Or just the reality that this is his son. This is really his son. So God speaks to Abraham and says, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham gets up early, sends off Hagar and his son Ishmael with supplies of bread and water, and they wander in the wilderness. Now that's, that's the summary to get us to the text today. We're going to come back to it throughout and get to the end of the story later, but let's continue with the Galatians text. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. I think this is best understood relating to the means of their birth. Abraham and Sarah tried to fulfill the promise 
made to Abraham the only way that they could think of it happening. In their mind, there was no possible way that 90-year-old Sarah is going to have a child. And so, they come up with this plan with Hagar. But that wasn't the promise. That was of the flesh. That was not the right way of believing God. It was actually disbelief in what God had promised. So Isaac, the child of Sarah, referred to as the free woman, is born according to, as Paul's writing here, the promise. And that can't be attributed to human effort in any way, right? Their ages alone make it something miraculous. So stunning that they both laughed in disbelief when God told them that it would happen. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Paul says this story can be understood as allegory. I'm going to be honest. This is difficult for me. It's been a hard text to study. It's been a hard text to preach on. Because there's so much more to the story of Isaac and Ishmael and what, than what Paul uses as allegory. What he uses leaves out important information from Genesis. And I want to say, I've read Galatians maybe 50 or more times in my life. And I've never noticed the tensions in this text. And it truly makes me grateful for those who have and those who do and those who wrestle and study and dig in and, and have the knowledge to, to look contextually and biblically at these things. I, I have such an incredible appreciation. Allegory, as H.D. Betts puts it, takes concrete matter mentioned in Scripture and tradition, mythology, to be surface appearance or vestiges of underlying deeper truths which, which the method claims to bring to light. Typology is when persons, events, and institutions of Scripture and tradition are taken as prototypes of present persons, events, and institutions, which are explained as their fulfillment, repetition, or completion within a framework of salvation history. And many scholars believe that Paul actually uses both. Allegory and typology in verses 21 through 31. As Michael Bird puts it, what we do know is that Paul's approach to the Old Testament was revolutionized through the Damascus Road encounter with Christ. From that moment on, he learned to reread the Jewish Bible in light of its fulfillment in Christ. And that's what he's encouraging these Galatians to do and how he wants them to think. The truth is that Paul neglects the original context of the story because as far as we know, the original Sarah and Hagar did not stand for covenants. So he's, he's trying to use the story to make a point to the Galatians. And, and so 
as your pastor, if I'm honest here, I want to say to you, don't do that. Okay? Don't do what Paul's doing here because you're not Paul. Just study and read the text and use it the way that it was intended. Ask, what does this mean in the context in which it was written? What did the author mean? What's going on in that context? We neglect that far, far too often. We want to read Esther and only ask, how am I like Esther? Or read other stories in the Bible and ask those same questions. And sadly, we are far more likely when we do that without an understanding of the cultural context it was written in and written to, to apply the hero parts of the story to ourselves and the judgment parts of the story to other peoples. And so let's get to what Paul is trying to say. Paul says that Sarah and Hagar represent two covenants. Hagar represents, he says, the covenant from Mount Sinai and bears children for slavery. The point he is implying is that the law, which is the covenant made at Mount Sinai, does not bring freedom. It brought slavery. N.T. Wright comments on this. Paul does not suppose that the text of Genesis was talking about the wrong sorts of things. Nor does he make Hagar or Sarah or indeed Abraham represent virtues or vices. He's talking about the covenant history of Israel and the ways in which the long and winding Abrahamic story had done what Deuteronomy said it would, produce the curse of slavery on the one hand and an extraordinary renewal and extended inheritance on the other. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Again, this is tricky. Because there's debate over what, what the phrase actually says here. There are different, differing texts. And, and, and in particular, if you pick up different versions of the Bible, you're going to get different sentences here. The ESV translates, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. For some versions, it's for Sinai is a mountain. Some say, but Sinai is a mountain. Some, but Hagar is Mount Sinai, and some for Hagar is Mount Sinai, and then for Hagar is a mountain. Now, this is actually significant. Why? Let's take two of those options. If it's, now Hagar is Mount Sinai, then Paul's saying something completely different than if it's, for Sinai is a mountain in Arabia. And I think, honestly, I lean toward for Sinai is a mountain in Arabia as the correct translation. That is after studying this text this week and not being a Hebrew or Greek scholar. So I say that humbly and in no way as a we must agree here. But consider that for Sinai is a mountain in Arabia as the translation Hagar was the mother of the Arabian people. 
So then Paul would be saying that Mount Sinai itself is located in Arabia, Hagar's land, the land of the slave people. So don't be surprised if following the Mosaic law, which comes from Sinai, puts you in slavery. Paul says the followers of the Mosaic covenant of Sinai, which is the land of Hagar, are enslaved under the curse of Deuteronomy and correspond to the present Jerusalem, which is in slavery with her children. He sees the Jews of his day as enslaved under the law. That's what he's been writing to the Galatians from the very beginning of this. Don't take on that yoke of slavery again. You've been freed by Jesus. So verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. The Jerusalem on high above is identified by Paul as our mother, as being free, he says. I think his point there is that both Jews and Gentiles, that all believers in Christ are citizens of the heavenly city, of the true Jerusalem. Thomas Schreiner says here, just as Sarah was the mother of Isaac, so believers are begotten in the new age by the Spirit, by their new birth, in other words. They're not slaves like the Judaizers, but free sons by virtue of the Spirit's work. And then verse 27, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This is Paul quoting Isaiah 54 verse 1. What's he saying? He's showing that Gentile believers in Galatia are the children of the Jerusalem above, of the true Jerusalem. He's saying that they are the children of the barren woman from whom no children were expected. It's a miracle of God's grace that they have new life in Jesus. So he's making this comparison that they are like those born of Sarah. It is miraculous. Verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. These believers in Jesus, even though they are uncircumcised and not under the law, if they remain faithful to what Paul is pleading through the letter, they are Sarah's children. They are people like Isaac, people of the promise. In verse 29 and 30, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul says that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Now, what did that look like? I mentioned earlier, we really don't know. It it seems from the Genesis text that there's simply laughter happening. That's, That's what Genesis says. Whether that is in mockery or whatever, we it doesn't tell us. But 
certainly we could say that there's some childishness involved. We know that Ishmael is still a young child at this point. And Paul quotes Sarah here and connects it to the circumstance in Galatia. He's saying this is like what happened there. In some way, what Ishmael is doing points forward to the way that the rival teachers, the Judaizers, are persecuting the Galatian church. Now, there are mentions of persecution in other parts of Galatians, but we really don't know what that was like for the Galatian church. Was it physical? It could have been. I don't think that connects with what we see happening in Genesis between Ishmael and Isaac, but I think Paul's just making the point to give a picture to these Galatians. But what's the result, he says? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, let's just let's be very clear from the beginning here. Does this have anything at all to do with Paul saying that God is saying how the Christian church should treat Jewish people today. None. Not at all. This has been used by some to say that. It's not true. This is specifically toward the Judaizers that Paul speaks of in the text. This is about the rival teachers and the rival teaching. Cast them out. He's emphasizing again, it's those who know and follow Jesus, the Messiah, who are God's people, who are people of the inheritance, those are the ones who are truly free. There's neither Jew nor Greek, but all are one in Christ. And so cast out those who are preaching and enforcing a gospel that is actually contrary to the one true gospel. And then lastly, verse 31, so brothers, we are, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the summary of what Paul is trying to say. We are free. This is a story about freedom, freedom in Christ. We're going to see that theme through the next sermons as well. We are free in Christ. We are free because of Christ. And to that end, I want to go back to the Genesis account of Hagar. Because Paul leaves out part of that story that I think is incredibly important for us as we consider this. And to get there, I want to ask you a question. Do you know who the first person in the Bible to give a name to God is? You know who that is? It's Hagar. Hagar is the first person in the Scriptures to give a name to God. In Genesis 16, when Hagar flees from Sarah, what happens? Let's read the account in Genesis 16, beginning with verse 8 through 13. Sarah becomes angry with Hagar. Hagar flees. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur. And then verse 8. And he, the Lord, said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? 
She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. You are the God who sees me. Do you know what that is? It's grace. That's grace. God shows grace to Hagar. And not just this once. After Sarah and Abraham send Hagar away when Ishmael laughs and Sarah responds and says, cast out the slave woman, God sees, God hears and God loves her. In Genesis 21, beginning with verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for, though, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. You are the God who sees me, she says. I think those texts are significant, not just for Galatia, but for you and for me. Paul is making a connection as an example for those wandering Galatians. 
But don't think that what he's saying there is prescriptive necessarily. It's descriptive of what's happening in that culture there in Galatia. God is so gracious. More gracious in the Genesis account than what Paul reveals in this allegory to the Galatians. God meets Hagar in her neediness. And that means... That he will meet these Galatians and even these rival teachers in their need if they call out to him. He sees them. And it means this. He sees you. And he will meet you in your need. It's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And ultimately, he proved that through the cross. I'm sure most, if not all of you, heard of the passing of Tim Keller. I thought it appropriate to use one of his quotes here, although it's always appropriate to use one of his quotes. But he said this, The central basis of Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably His heart is set on us. God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. We remember the God who sees when we take the bread and the cup together. He saw us in our humble, broken, sinful condition, and He did not turn a blind eye, but gave His Son for us. He made a way for us to be with Him. He proved that He sees us, He hears us, and He loves us. So as we take the bread and the cup today, let's remember with thankfulness the one who will not cast us out because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord. You're so gracious to us. Far more gracious than we could ever put into words, ever comprehend. And we're grateful, thankful, And so even as we go into this time where we purposefully remember, Jesus, that your body was broken, your blood was poured out as evidence, as a demonstration of your love for us, God. Help us. Help us to rejoice. Help us to be thankful for who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do. Thank you that you, as Paul writes, have set us free in Jesus. What a good God you are to us. We praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.